Welcome to Behavioral Health in the New Normal, a podcast developed by Prestige Community Resources, aimed at bringing healing back to our community through knowledge, expert advice, and positive messaging. The show is a joint venture between the Department of Behavioral Health and Prestige Community Resources, funded by SAMHSA in response to the challenges currently impacting our communities. Hosted by Paul Wells Sr., who uses over 30 years of extensive clinical social work experience to conduct insightful interviews with experts and professionals on a wide range of topics that impact the Washington, D.C. community. From behavioral health crisis to education to financial hardship and anything in between, this show will provide information and insights that will surely make a difference in your life. I am so excited to uh, introduce a dear friend, and I would say champion in arms uh, when it comes to recovery, uh, Imam Ailil Prather. How are you, Brother Prather? Praise God. I'm doing well. Thank you. I want to greet you with the greeting words of peace. As-salamu alaykum. Wa alaykum salam to you. God's peace and blessings be upon all the, uh, all the family that are with us uh, today. And shalom and just peace. Uh, uh, may, may God grant us peace and protect us in these unprecedented times. Amen. Thank you for the covering. Today, um, Iman Prather, we're going to really focus on some methodology that you've uh, researched and perfected and practiced. And so I think the, the backdrop today, the discussion is really regarding Islamic methodology uh, for those who are in recovery from both substance abuse and mental illness. But before we um, get into the discussion, I want to just uh, share a little bit with the audience about your pedigree. Um, you are definitely uh, an imam, a chaplain, an Islamic consultant to Washington, D.C., probation, parole, and pretrial services. You work extensively with the Department of Corrections and the D.C. Department of Youth Rehab. You've offered more than 20 years specializing in counseling and coaching uh, and, and working really specifically with those who suffer with drug and alcohol use disorders. And you have extensive work uh, uh, regarding those returning citizens, uh, D.C. inmates specifically, who are returning from Bureau of Prisons and reintegrating back home. Uh, and most importantly, we are most blessed to understand that you are one of the founding members of a Milite Islami, the Path of Peace, yep. Islamic Methodology for Recovery Center. And so we welcome you, dear brother, and we're excited about today's um, uh, discussion. And I know you're going to impart uh, some knowledge for us that we can use and take with us to help those in our community. And so, uh, Brother Prather, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and, and specifically about where you grew up, some of your early beginnings and, and what your experiences were um, early on? Yeah, thank you. Thanks again. Um... Brother Paul, I am a fourth generation Washingtonian, hmm. and I grew up in a, I guess you could call it notorious or otherwise uh, uh, neighborhood in D.C. referred to as Lee Droid Park. Yes. Um, 
in some ways, uh, early on, Leechroyd Park was the uptown for mm -hmm. the, uh, I guess, the affluent, the upwardly mobile African-American community right there in the shadow of Howard University. Yes, okay. That was back in the 30s and 40s. Okay. But mm -hmm. anyway, by the time I was born, it, it is a beautiful community um, because actually during segregation, Jim Crow, whatever you want to call it, neighborhoods all of our uh, African-American neighborhoods all over the country, you yeah. had judges, doctors, professors, That's right. and you, you had middle working class mm -hmm. and you had projects. Yeah. And we had that all in the same neighborhood. Everybody got along. So um, my parents were working class. Mom was a teacher, dad in the government, but I wanted to hang out with the guys who used to turn their hats around backwards because I yeah. would have straighten mine up when, when I went back in the house. But anyway, um, grew up during the so-called war on drugs, the flooding of our, of all black neighborhoods in this country in the late sixties with heroin. Then right. 20 years later, the heroin's mm. still there. Mm. And then there's a cocaine ep ep epidemic that turned into crack. And, and so I guess you could say, um, I went through all of that severe, severe, no, uh, severe on the, on the severity index. Very mm -hmm. few people get mm -hmm. as far out as, as I got. Okay. Uh, and make it back. Wow. Proof okay. of that. Most of the guys that, you know, chase that thing mm -hmm. like I did are, are not, are not with us. The few maybe who didn't die as a result are doing life in prison. And then there's another category. Those that didn't die and who are not still locked up, a lot of us have gone into working in the field. That's right. And that's by God's, uh, uh, God's will. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't get us clean and sober and in this new spiritually uplifted uh, way of life called recovery mm -hmm. just for our own to ride off into the sunset. And uh, that's pretty much uh, my background. Now, coming out of prison, I accepted the way of life of Islam, Al-Islam. Yes. And okay. we know there's a lot of brothers, African-Americans and Latinos and um, poor white folks that come out of prison um, after we'll convert exactly, to Islam. Exactly, yes. exactly. Yes. But it's majority is us, and we were the first in great numbers. But anyway, I went to the mosque down on New Jersey Avenue, and some mm -hmm. guys that knew me from the street, from my previous life, uh, had been clean and sober and practicing Muslims a little ahead of me. So they saw me in the mosque. They said, we're glad you're home. And then one of them said, man, get in the car. So I, I obliged. Okay. I said, Where are we going? He said, don't worry about it. <laughs> hmm. So from, from the mosque at New Jersey Avenue, we took a, about a five or six block trip down to 5th and K, 928 5th Street. Up the steps, hook a left. They told me, sit down, grab a cup of coffee, sit down, shut up. Uh, take the cotton out of your ear, put it in and your put mouth. put it in your mouth. And that was the world that is, that was the old world famous Metropolis Club. Oh, my the goodness. Greatest, yes. The greatest mm -hmm. AA meeting in the world, I believe. Uh, um, but anyway, from there, 
Um, they said, they told me, look, Reds, as I was called in those days, they say, Reds, if you, if you chase these meetings like you used to chase that other thing, you might have a chance. And all of the cliches, I took all of that to heart. Mm -hmm. got, a, got a year under my belt, yeah. worked on two years. But got to a point where I really wanted to integrate. And there were others like me, other Muslim brothers that wanted to integrate the practice and the growth uh, of their practice of Islam. Yes. Wanted, wanted to enhance it by not mm -hmm. just going to the NA and AA meetings, but we wanted an Islamic version, an Islamic uh, sort of um, gathering on the, you know, 12-step program. And, and why was that so important to the brothers of the faith? Good question, because most of us were influenced by what I call the X factor. If you mm -hmm. read the autobiography of Malcolm X, prison is what turned his life around and the uh, integration of Islam into his recovery. And so basically that's what we all wanted. And we, again, I call it the X factor. Mm -hmm. um, so we tried at a getting together several Muslim brothers had the same uh, mindset as me. It wasn't too, uh, it wasn't too active early on. It was only three or four brothers. Uh, they really didn't want to meet in the mosque because they didn't want anybody to see them associated with something like that. I see, I see. Uh, that's kind of that denial that used to be in, in other houses of worship. But, mm -hmm, absolutely, absolutely. But, but a lot of progress has been made. A lot of churches, many churches have NA and AA meetings. Uh, we be, we our mosque has a Islamic school on Martin Luther King Avenue up from the big chair. So I had actually begun uh, working in the mosque and teaching at the Islamic school. Mm -hmm. And we started using the building on Martin Luther King Avenue. It was called, Cla it is called Clara Muhammad School for mm -hmm. the meetings. Soon mm -hmm. as we moved across town and, and the anonymity piece was covered, nobody was coming over there to see who was there. Yes, yeah, sir. Uh, the room was sometimes standing room only. Mm. So look uh, at that. Look at that. So you know, on, that, on previous shows, brother Imam, we talked about the stigma uh, that have prevented so yeah. many people from engaging in treatment services. Much yeah. more pronounced in the 80s and 90s, but still continues today. The shame uh, that accompanies the decision uh, to get clean and sober is yeah. still uh, a motivating force. It sometimes prevents people from knocking on the door. That's right. Um, and which, which, what you're suggesting is back when you developed this recovery uh, theology and practice, the stigma was something you had to contend with. Yep. And as soon as you moved the identity to a different side of town, people were much more free yep. uh, to walk in the doors. That's right. That's right. That's remarkable. And there's That's another right. reason also. Here's mm -hmm. one of the, that to integrate the 12-step recovery life into our Islamic life. And what we found was that a lot of brothers came home from doing time who were Muslim, right. right? but they would not go to NA and AA meetings. They said, oh man, that's a Christian program. I'm not right. messing with that, which is not true. It's a spiritual program. You know, the 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in nature, 
which if practiced as a way of life can expel the obsession mm -hmm. to drink and drug and other habit disorders and can enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. I'm quoting that from memory from the right. NA basic right. text. We said, if we start this Islamic group, maybe they'll come to this. So some did come, but still a lot of them wouldn't come. Um, so meaning that they had denial issues about needing, you know, an ongoing methodology right. to, to do what we, we say, clean and on clean and on our deen. You might hear Muslim brothers refer to their way of life as deen. Yes. That's the, the way deen means your way of life. Way of life. And so after about our second or third year, we, I, I attended a recovery or drug war conference in Baltimore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, this is where I met the founder. I am a co-founder to this brother, dearly beloved, dearly departed brother, Zaid Imani. Zaid Imani. Correct. Yes. If you Google him and his wife, can't leave sister Sybil Imani out. Sybil and Zaid, Zaid and Sybil mm -hmm. were the founders. They had put okay. in so much work. Uh, he was also in uh, working in the field of counseling. Um, something I meant to say about myself, I like to describe myself as experientially authentic. Yes, I'm, in, I'm peer support. Mm -hmm. I've uh, been there and done that. That's so right. a lot of people. But when it comes to the level, doing time, uh, IV hardcore abuse for 20 years, over 20 years. And, and by, the, by the grace and mercy of Almighty God, Allah, Allah brought me out of that. That's right. Um, and, and, and those experiences gave you what I would say divine privilege to provide mm -hmm. services to others. And just your, your testimony, if it were, and your experience and wow. validation of the experience gives you the validation you need to engage with persons who have uh, suffered a similar, traveled a similar path. Uh-huh. You're correct. Um, let me ask you let this. Let me add this. Let me Please. add this. It wasn't a privilege. Come on. They told us, one of those cliches, those good uh -huh. old A-A-N-A cliches, they said to keep what you have, you must give it, give it away. That's that spiritual yeah. paradox. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out how in the heck am I going to keep it after, and I've given it away. Yeah. But hey, I Mom came Fraser. to believe in, in that paradox. Yes. Yes, I understand that. Now, I'm hearing some the form of the methodology, and it seems like the undergirdings are really connected to the tenets of A and NA, that you, right. you follow a, a, a similar format. Yeah. Am I hearing you correctly? That's correct. And that's where we have to go back to Zaid. Zaid, and I believe, as you use the word divine, was divinely inspired okay. to put pen to paper mm -hmm. and wrote, this is our big book, if you will. This is okay. our basic text. I see. And what he did uh, was to render an adaptation of the 12 steps where, for example, where it says we came to believe that God could and would restore us to sanity. That's the second step. 
Right. He said, we came to believe that Allah could and would restore us to sanity. That was in the interest of attracting the Muslims coming yes. out of prison to know that this is their program. If they got an issue with NA and AA, well, you 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 shouldn't have any with Melati Islami. And so after this conference, Zaid and I meeting, we just like resonated. We just, mm -hmm. oh man. I had already said that we had a different name. We were called the Jamato Toba, which means the gathering of those repenting. I see. Right after meeting Zaid, I said, look, I'm dropping our name. We are integrating. We're going to consolidate with your group. So Baltimore was the first group meeting. DC was the second. I see. Okay. And between Zaid and I working and distributing the books and visiting other cities in about, it started in 89. And by 1990, about six years later, there were 60 groups all over the United States. Look at that. And, and, what, and what's the current count today? Well, it's not like it's not as much. We're trying to bring in younger folks to carry the mantle, you know, keep the legacy going. Yes, yes. There's there's every bit of 30 to 40 in all your okay. major cities. Okay. So we're talking oh. about New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, oh, yeah. DC. Don't even oh. say New York. They had at least five or six in New York. Uh, they had a weekly radio program called Malachi Islami in New York. So you know they go big. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, so if I were to attend one of the meetings, uh, what would be the kind of greeting I received by others who were there and, and what would I witness firsthand? Interesting. If, Good question. Let me say this. We have non-Muslims who come to Malachi meetings and say they prefer that sometimes uh, because there's too much cussing in N.A., uh, you know, <laughs> or... Right. other things and when we share we we're you know we're not allowed to use profanity uh you know in in our methodology of of meeting um you would just be greeted you know um in fact i want to definitely get your contact info so i can send you one of uh this is our second revision okay 30th 30th anniversary edition of our book and at the end of the program, I'm going to want you to uh, give everyone the title of the book and where, where people can purchase it. Tell me this, Imam Prather, the COVID-19 has impacted all uh, aspects of, of treatment recovery, whether it's inpatient or community-based. How has the pandemic impacted those using your methodology, those attending your, your programming? It, has there been an impact and what has it been? Well, I mean, of course, uh, according to guidelines, we have not been able to meet in person uh, for the sake of not uh, contributing to the spread of right. the uh, pandemic. Um, so what that happened, we, 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 um, we had already had a, a phone conference meeting uh, for a couple of years, because there were Muslims out in the boonies um, um, who want who weren't near any major cities, and there weren't other Muslims around to start a meeting. So we had a phone conference meeting, but um, 
during this pandemic time, we started a Zoom meeting. So that's that's that was a great addition to our to our work, and it's very and successful. And how does someone link into the Zoom? And is there a schedule or a calendar? Of it's meetings? every it's every Friday evening from nine nine p.m. to ten p.m. Eastern time. Okay. Okay. And um, and what we're going to ask you to repeat that again at near the end of the segment. Uh, tell me, Imam. Tell me how does faith and practice of faith support recovery from substance use and mental illness? Does it play a role? Good and if so, what role does it play? Well, you know, I like to say as Muslims, and I was raised in the church. I had a very strong Christian upbringing. I was mm -hmm. an altar boy in the Episcopal church. And I thank my parents and God for, you know, uh, uh, for that. Mm -hmm. But coming into Islam, um, Islam, the, the, the Quran, strictly forbids the use of any intoxicants. And that was the draw, the attraction for me into um, one of the main uh, 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 attractions for me into the faith of Islam. Because I said, all the problems I've had, and uh, uh, if I continue to use, I'm going to be so deep in the fire of hell that um so anyway i said this has to be a religion a way of life that was designed just for me and people like me yes absolutely uh, and i had took that to heart i mean absolutely. You know. so so there's no conflict between your uh upbringing as a christian and the, the fundamentals of christianity and your practice of islam no, um they're just and, not at all. Not at all. Um, the three Abrahamic faiths, as most people know, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are yeah. all from Prophet Abraham. That's right. That's and right. there is more alike. I'll give you an example. A lot of people know this, but maybe some of the uh, listeners don't. Jesus's name is mentioned more times in the Quran than right. it is the Bible. That is correct. Yes. There's a verse in the Quran. I'm going to give you the English meaning. It's mm -hmm. uh, where God, Allah says, closest to you, O Muslims, that you will find with love and affection between your hearts are those who say they are Christians because they have renounced the life of this world. They are not arrogant and they study scripture. Yes. So yes. Christians and Muslims out, right out of the break That's right. are supposed to be in, in a spiritual bond, uh, you know, our scriptural uh, um, uh, uh, um, uh, inheritance, if you will. I'm so relieved and, and um, uh, grateful that persons of any faith can participate in Malate Islami. Of and, course. And, and they would not be rejected. And in fact, as you described, they feel comfortable uh, receiving recovery support in that context. Of course. Uh, there's something to be said about that. You know, some of our other denominations are very restrictive and, <laughs> and isolate certain profiles of folks from engaging and benefiting from uh, the communal support. And so I thank you for your service and your, your clear understanding of an open agenda for any, any of those who are suffering. 
with addiction or, or behavioral health issues. Now, you know, I really want to talk about re returning citizens. You know, that's where my focus has been most of my career. Yes. And I know you've done uh, great work uh, at a reentry center called the Reentry and Sanctions Center, which is a, um, uh, I think, state-of-the-art facility that is run by court services and offender supervision agency. And in fact, you and your team provided some consultation services to those men and women who are returning, were returning home uh, from Bureau of Prisons. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that experience and, and what you and your team offered at the Reentry and Sanctions Center? Yes, uh, let me say this. Uh, I don't know if I'm getting into trouble here, but uh, let me, I'll go on record as saying that uh, we missed your presence after things changed and you left yeah. for the work, you know, but uh, we say in the rooms, the only mm -hmm. constant is change, right. <laughs> you know, so um, I was blessed to have the opportunity. Um, I'm still on contract there, although it's shut down at the moment. Oh, due to the pandemic? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, yes, yes. And for those in the audience who aren't familiar with the Reentering Sanction Center, it's a 28-day, 102-bed facility on the grounds of former D.C. General Hospital. That's right. right next to the D.C. jail. Yep. And it was designed for high-risk offenders. High-risk uh, was defined by high levels of criminality, high levels of substance abuse, and high levels of mental illness. And, yep. and gentlemen and women who were referred to this uh, state-of-the-art facility had a history of cycling in and out of institutions. And the center was designed to target those core barriers that prevented uh, successful transition and stability back home. And you and your group was brought in to provide a, a specific service uh, in that assessment treatment readiness model. Can you speak to that? Yep, yep. Um, I mentioned the mosque on New Jersey Avenue. I helped open a new mosque in Capitol Heights, hmm. which, listen to the name of it, Islamic, Islamic, Research and Humanitarian Service Center Mosque of America. So we had Islamic scholars who were working on problems like illiteracy and poverty, you know, in the community. Right. And of course, they brought Malachi Islami in to fight the, the drug war, not the so-called war on drugs. Right. Uh, and so we work on theories. Um, we mm -hmm. have a theory called the behavioral belief cycle theory. Tell me more about that. Yes. And with regard to, well, it's based on just in, in a general foundation is that everything that we see is based on, uh, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Every The reason with the lack of success in treatment um, we're dealing with a treatment industrial complex in a way because mm -hmm. everything is looked at as a linear, mm -hmm. right. a linear basis. And especially African people, I um, understand everything is not, it's a cycle, mm -hmm. a circle, mm -hmm. a system. I see. And in this cycle, you have phases. So let's say the phase of reentry would be, it's called behavioral belief, belief cycle. And so right. it's, it's a cycle. Mm -hmm. The two phases for uh, reentry is reentry, of mm -hmm. course, and then recovery. You can't have one without the other. 
Um, I know in your questions, you asked, what are the three major things that uh, the priorities of reentry, successful mm -hmm. community reintegration? Mm -hmm. And generally society says housing, a job, and then you got to stay clean and in compliance if you're on paper, if you're on parole or probation. But I don't agree with that according to this theory. Okay. The first thing is you need to recover spiritually to mm. the point that one day at a time from prayer to prayer, you know better than to go back to that earlier life prior to incarceration, back to using, back to drinking and drugging, back to committing crimes to, to, to pay for the uh, drinking and drugging. Okay. So we need to do something spiritually. Why would God give me, I'm going to use myself as an example. Why would God give me a nice place to live and a good paying job and I have not treated the fallen spiritual condition yeah. that I still got reservations about maybe one day I can, you know, just do a little something, something, you know, just a one-on-one. -on -one. And so that's, that's what's... Yeah, yeah. That's, so that spiritual development is critical. That's number one. Give me number two. Well, it's okay. Number two, then once you have submitted your will to God's will and you have a program of recovery, it's got to be whatever you're doing, a new way of life. Yeah. For those of us who got way out there, it's, it's nothing better. It's nothing more successful than regular voluntary attendance at meetings. So, um, that's, an so that's an action plan. It, it's just exactly. not, it's just not something you're verbalizing and talking about, there should be some evidence in the practice of your recovery. And That's for right. you, that means attending groups, seeing your therapist, taking your medication exactly. prescribed, exactly. Um, changing people, places, and things. Woo. There should be some on, obvious action that supports your recovery and the spiritual development that you've already, that foundation that you've laid. What's the, what's, what's the third thing you should do in this process? <clears throat> well, where was I? You you said it, man. You're hard hard to come behind with some of your uh, mentioning. Um, what? Now, now, now we're actively engaged in recovery. Yeah, the 12 right? steps. The walk. Every, oh, this is what I was going to say. The 12 steps is the program and the action plan. Uh, Robert DuPont, Dr. Mm -hmm. Robert DuPont of the DuPont chemical family was right. President Nixon. I'm telling on my age, that was mm -hmm. his drug czar. Mm -hmm. His work and study as the drug czar, he came out with a statement. He said that he had found that the far and away, uh, um, uh, um, what's the other word? Uh, unequivocal, most successful deterrent from active addiction, drug and alcohol use that he found was voluntary attendance at the 12-step uh, meetings and programs. You're absolutely and, and right. That's and that's the evidence, and it still is today, over the right. entire world. Man, and, 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 and as a fact, that has been researched to be true. AA and NA has proven to work. Yep. Matter of fact, I think that's the only thing that's been studied adequately enough uh, to come to the conclusion without question that it works, that you get good outcomes if you follow that model. And it sounds like um, your practice is, is, is supportive and inclusive of the 12-step philosophy. Yep. 
Uh, okay. Now, you talked about the barriers to reentry, and, and you're right. Housing, financial readiness, um, employment, those are three critical stability factors that if they're not addressed, um, you can have a, you may not achieve a good outcome. Uh, but we also know that uh, the other two leading uh, barriers are unstable mental health uh, uh, and, uh, and substance use and unstable medical health, right? Um, and so I'm, I'm assuming that in, in your methodology that you address and speak to and give support in all these areas or barriers uh, to reentry, uh, that, that, that you speak life to them and you give instruction and support for those who need that pathway uh, to, to uh, dismantle some of those barriers. Now in DC, those barriers are pretty profound and exaggerated because this is Washington DC, the cost of life is, is extreme. And it's really difficult to re-engage in a life that you were separated from because we know DC inmates don't do their time at home. They go all over the country, uh, away from their culture, away from their family, away from what's familiar. And then they have to reintegrate sometimes back to a home that does not look, sound or smell the same, right? That's and right. so I'm, I'm hoping that people are going to your support groups and being reintroduced to the community as it is now. Uh, and the realities that they will be presented with and challenges uh, from a recovery perspective. Um, this, this is, you know, uh, let, me, uh, let me ask you, yes, sir. You know, being locked up can be either the greatest blessing that ever happened to you or it can be a curse. If we are, while doing time, time, doing time, a little time that I did, I didn't, didn't do any long bit. Mm -hmm. I think about 18 months was the longest <clears throat> at one time. Right. And it gave me the opportunity to go inside and reestablish my relationship with God. Up to then, Satan had been who I was following. Brother Barlio, do, do, do you still visit the institutions? Do you go into DC jail? That's Have a heck of a question because they don't allow anybody in right now. So that's one impact of the in pandemic. The feds, you know? In state systems and in DC. Yeah. They so cut off a... all the um, preachers and reverends and imams and from going in uh, in DC. So another consequence of, of, the, of the pandemic, huh? Yep. Um, so are you able to engage with inmates through telehealth or uh, I get remotely? calls from relatives and I get a few letters, um, but these are tough times because when we're doing time, we really need to have that connection with your spiritual counseling and, and, and such. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my, there are no services unless they're letting um, inmates conduct a service but the last I heard they weren't even doing that again in DC because of the you know the pandemic the quarantine oh it's a mess yeah brother Bilal I tell you when you talked about if the foundation is your practice of faith your practice of Islam that's a strong foundation to stand in to withstand uh, relapse and the tendency to go back to the self-destructive behavior and I know that to be true. And I, I tell the brothers and sisters, regardless of your faith, if you follow the tenets of your faith, it's going to be hard for you to re revert back to old behaviors. That's 
Correct. Um, and so sometimes I'm concerned where a brother comes home and he's identifying as a Muslim, uh, but he's, his lifestyle is suggest, suggestive of something different. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's sometimes a conflict for me. How do you address that, that uh, someone professes the faith, uh, but you know that they're deviating, you, you know they're behaving in such a way that contradicts um, uh, what they're presenting to others? Yeah, that's a very good question because we're all different in our level of acceptance or non-acceptance of our condition. Um, we have, in Malati Islami, we do a lot of prison outreach. Mm -hmm. I can give you an example. Um, in the state of Texas, one of our members, he was, uh, he was from California. He got, uh, he introduced into the state prison systems of Texas something called a Malati Islami program for the Muslim brothers that it involved reading the literature, having group meetings, Malati mm -hmm. meetings in state system. Mm -hmm. And the incentive was if the guys, and I don't remember whether they had, uh, they probably had women on the woman's side of the state prisons in Texas also uh, uh, for them, they would get years off of their, they would get time off of their sentences and it became wildly popular. That's right. Early release. Uh, yeah. Yep. Early release. Um, so we, we, that's, um, I mean, I come from that. I have to go back there and be there and stay there for brothers coming home. I try to talk to as many people. Uh, and that was the great uh, marriage with uh, Melati Islami and C. Sosa, along with the faith-based re-entry uh, work that, uh, and I have to give props to brother your 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 our colleague Jasper Orman. He That's went absolutely. He came and he did. He uh, pounded the pavements and went down and got Nation of Islam, the Moor Science Temple, the Sunnis, of which I'm with the Sunni Muslims, the mm -hmm. churches, and established yeah. that that faith partners uh, uh, collaboration with reentry. Sosa under the leadership of Jasper Orman really has been a pioneer and done yep. great with collaborating the faith-based yep. uh, stakeholders uh, and identifying the common goal. That's and right. that is to work with those persons who are still suffering uh, yep. uh, and dis disenfranchised. And um, yep. listen, last question for you. And we could we could have we could talk all day long. But I what fries when you're having fun? Yeah, yeah. What's the we, biggest? You and I, we live and eat, sleep, live and breathe this stuff, you know. And that's, that's what right. a newcomer coming home has to, you know. He, you know, it's that emotional intelligence had to have taken some changes for the better when when we're locked up, man. Mm -hmm. You can't come out the same. The same person will do the same things. So that's right. That's right. Um, what's the biggest challenge today? for anyone who suffers from substance abuse and or mental illness? What's the number one biggest challenge as you understand? Looking at, if you had to narrow it down to one thing, it is our relationship with the God of our understanding. Mm, look at that. If that is an aberration or something distorted or just something so weak as to not have any efficacy in, in, 
in, in moving your life in the right direction. And, and actually that's what you all brought me into RSC and the methodology was called spiritual coordination. That's right, that's right. Spiritual yeah. recovery. Mm-hmm. We've got to re- we we got to stop listening stop listening to Satan, man, because yeah. he he's gonna he's gonna win out eventually. He's gonna get you back to where you don't need to be. You know, I said it, uh, in a former podcast uh, we were talking about spirituality, and and we understand that there's three aspects to man: their spiritual self, their physical self right? And their, their mental self yeah. and recovery, successful recovery requires that you hit all of the domains bullseye, that you really practice and work in each domain thoroughly and simultaneously. You can't choose one over the other. Uh, you must be successful in all three. And what I do find in many cases that when people, uh, newcomers, especially uh, come into recovery, they might do two of the three pretty consistently. They might work out every day and go to the gym and uh, and go see their therapist twice a week, never pray. Well, the reverse might be true. They pray all day long and never see their therapist and never go to the gym. It is critical to do all three. One thing I do know in treatment, uh, treatment can provide you with coping skills, relapse prevention skills, recovery skills. Uh, treatment can equip you with a lot of information that you can use to navigate and to remain abstinent. Uh, However, there will be some encounter in your journey uh, in recovery that none of that stuff works. The the sponsor's not available. I can't make it to my home group. Uh, I forgot what my triggers are. I don't know what my emergency plan. Uh, A circumstance will present itself where the only way to overcome it is through prayer and a reliance on your spiritual understanding. That's right. Uh, and if that's not cultivated and already prepared, you may not be able to get over this hurdle that's presenting you, uh, posing a threat to your recovery. And so I understand the importance of spirituality and spiritual development. Uh, and I'm so glad you, you continue to reinforce it um, in a non-threatening way. Your style and technique is just very non-threatening. Um, because I've seen brothers from all faiths uh, respond to you uh, and really uh, abide by your instruction. Do you recognize how powerful you are? Praise God. To God be the glory, and and, and he's the all-powerful. He just lets us get some blessing in this test called life. All of life is nothing but a test. That's right. We won't know till judgment day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's right. Where can our informed audience reach you and make contact with you? And please, if you could share uh, your book again with the audience so we could purchase it. But where can people contact you directly? Yeah, um, if they want any information or get oh, how, how to get the book, they can just either phone, call me on my mobile number. Okay, or what's that, and what's that number? That's 202-374. Zero five three four. Again, two o two three seven four zero five three four. And where can we purchase the book? The the title I have the book them. Is... I have them. I have uh. I have the books. Okay. And can yep. you repeat the title of the book again, please? Yep. It's Melati 
Islami, the path of peace. And that's what I meant to say, Malachi Islami in Arabic just means the path of peace. Path of peace. That's what we try, that's what we strive to follow in our recovery life. Um, and it's also at the bottom subtitle, Islamic Treatment for Addiction. And that's the second edition, is that correct? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. Second revised edition. In closing, is there anything you'd like to summarize or highlight before we conclude this segment? Well, just something came to mind. You know, treatment is big on coping skills, coping that. At some point, we have to go from, on a spiritual dimension, we have to go from just coping to hoping because, what is it, Hebrews 11, verse 1, and this mm -hmm. is probably one of the most quoted verses in the in the 12th step, that faith is the substance of things. What? Not, not hoped seen. for, not hoped seen. for. Look at that. Look at and that. The, and the things just not yet seen. That's how I interpret that. Yeah, powerful. With we God, all things are possible. Um, you, again, back to the theory, behavioral belief. First you believe and then you're, uh, see, we can't get clean up in our head. We just, in your heart, you can believe I can stay clean. And then your behavior what should follow. Yes, yeah. Going to meetings, people don't know. I met their uh, society. The devil is so busy. He's he's got people hating NA and AA meetings that never been to one. You yeah. watch little sitcoms and they make fun exactly. of. You know, exactly. I'm telling you, that's the devil. Yeah. Look at that. Look at and, that. And hating something that you've never even been—that's called contempt prior to investigation. That's it. That's that insanity. Is, that's what you call it. That is what you call it. I've really enjoyed this segment, and I know it's a benefit for those who are going to listen to the podcast, and I'm sure there are going to be many, many people who are going to reach out to you to get more information and to secure uh, your book. Uh, I want to congratulate you and extend my admiration for your service. Uh, you've been a pioneer uh, and very dedicated uh, uh, member of service. Uh, to not only returning citizens, for, but for all those who are suffering with uh, spiritual decay, uh, as well as uh, uh, the ravages of substance use and, and poor behavioral health. Uh, we're excited about what's in the future for you and your program. Uh, and we intend to invite you back at a later date to tell us more about uh, some of the newer trends and methodology that you, you're, you're refining as you learn more and more about the disease of addiction uh, and the needs of recovery. I want to conclude this podcast uh, by reminding everyone, this podcast is a product of Prestige Community Resources, sponsored by the DC Department of Behavioral Health. For more information about who we are and what we do, please visit our website at prestigecommunityresources.org. Let me repeat that, prestigecommunityresources.org. It has truly been a pleasure hosting this episode. We will see you next week. Be safe. Be well. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.